Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding. See you next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are we doing today? I'm doing very well, Andrew. How are you doing? Doing great. We hope everyone else is having a great day as well. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about an industry that has been in the news a lot lately, and that is movie theaters. Mm -hmm. So obviously, movie theaters have been impacted incredibly by COVID. I was reading Cinemark's last quarterly earnings i think they were down 99 percent in revenue yeah i would I, I, no surprise so. i would guess that it's uh right now i think it's running about box office now about 90 percent. yeah and in the news last week amc was you know in news about is there going to be a potential bankruptcy there they have a lot of debt movie theaters have been a very interesting investment and just currently right now i think they are probably just a good potential hunting ground and it you know, mm -hmm. to talk about. I have a lot of questions about it. So you are very familiar with uh, movie theaters. You have actually recently been kind of doing more of a deep dive on these companies, right? And kind on of some of the, the theater companies. Yeah, the that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I've also should say I've been to the movies again. I've gone back. So I, I've been to the movies like three times a week. And stuff. were there a lot of people there? No, I, I've not been there where there's more than one other group. So there's there's literally no one. Um, it's actually if you're if people are afraid of COVID stuff, now's the time to go to the movie theaters because it's a lot less crowded than anywhere else I could go. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, not crowded. Got it. Um, so I'm just kind of curious. So I don't know if you knew, and I kind of want to talk a little bit more about this on our radio show like podcast that we're going to okay. do. But Dan Loeb is the largest shareholder oh. in Disney, mm -hmm. and he came out last week or maybe a week and a half ago, basically telling Disney that they should suspend right. their dividend indefinitely mm -hmm. and take all that capital and apply it back into their streaming business and really right. invest in that and look to, you know, cultivate that and stuff like that. And I guess there's just, there's so many questions right now, okay. um, just on movie theaters and streaming. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, I'm like, are we going to look at this in five years and look at a lot of these movie theaters and be like, gosh, that was a, a bargain for that. Of course, people are going to go back to movie theaters. Yes, attendance has declined right. at movie theaters in the industry over the past 10 years. But it really hasn't been as much as people think it has. Mm -hmm. And box office revenue has continued to grow. Average ticket per person, the sale price, has right. continued to grow. Yeah. Movie theaters are a unique experience that mm -hmm. is cheaper from like a competition standpoint than going to you know, bowling alleys or, um, you know, other theme parks and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Are we going to look at this in three to five years and be like, that was a no brainer because look, Cinemark, for example, right. you could pull up where it's currently trading at. Um, was it CNK? Yeah. Cinemark holdings. The market cap is, you know, 90, yeah, it's under a billion, yeah. million, mm -hmm. under a billion. And we could look to see, I mean, um, at the end of 2019, it was about $4 billion. Yeah, I mean, I would say in normal times, Cinemark stock would be worth probably about $45 a share. And it's at like 8 now. Mm -hmm. We could look at AMC, which is more of a... a AMC will probably uh, be bankrupt. Of, they have a lot of... That, that isn't COVID-related. I mean, they may say it's COVID, but I would have... Of course I would have said that AMC was at risk for bankruptcy before COVID happened. Marcus Corporation, a company that... This was my movie theater growing up. $228 mm -hmm. million dollars right now. Right, and that used to be like a billion-dollar company. I wouldn't call them insolvent when I was looking at their business. And right. Yeah, if you look at, you know, the market capitalization, a uh, billion dollars. Cinemark and Marcus are the two most conservatively financed of the meaningful-sized ones I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, technically, Marcus, I don't remember if they're about the fifth largest or something cinemark will be the third largest but there's a huge drop off after the top three um so amc and regal being different um in terms of the risks they take and stuff yep i'm just kind of curious though like 
is the time, I mean, because it, it's been happening, right? The time that movies will air at movie theaters is starting mm -hmm. to decline because it's going more to like video on demand or streaming and stuff right. like that. I'm just kind of think like, what are the drivers to the movie theater industry? Is it still going to be around? Is there an investment case for the movie theaters? Sure. So first, it's not really relevant whether it grows or not, because it only has to grow faster than the number of theaters left. So it, that really doesn't matter. So like I've said before to you, I think movie theaters are much better business than they were 30 years ago. Attendance as a percent of population stuff is slightly down in that period, but the industry is much more heavily consolidated mm -hmm. in a couple of ways. One, it's more heavily consolidated versus the studios with the exception of Disney. The one company that has a tremendous amount of market power that no one's ever had in the U.S., history of Hollywood is Disney now. Um, so that's never happened before. If you just look at how they had, how many of the top 10 movies they had last year or something and how many they're likely to have, you know, in the next year and the year after that. So that's changed. But as compared to all the other major studios, the theaters have gotten bigger versus them, which is helpful in terms of bargaining power and all that stuff. And then, yeah, and, and then in terms of attendance and stuff, attendance holds up pretty, you know, the, I look back to 1995 or so, attendance holds up pretty, I would say it's fairly stable considering two factors. Uh, there's no indication to me that demand for movies is down for two reasons. One, there's been a shift in population. So your population aged a bit and, you know, an older population is going to go to the movies less. It's very age driven. And then two, you raise prices faster than inflation and stuff. So you also increase the real pricing and yet you still had very similar numbers of people going. Now, any one year is driven by what movies are out. I mean, you know, but it but over a long period of time, I'm not seeing a huge difference that way. Um, and as you said, generally, they're able to have higher ticket prices mm -hmm. over time and way higher concessions for those places that invested in in selling a lot more concessions and a lot of add on stuff around it. Mm -hmm. So we're in 2020 now. Okay. Movie theaters are, you know, they're reopened a lot of them and stuff like that. Right. A lot of movie studios, though, have been shifting. Right. You know, when they're going to release movies. Yeah. So I was thinking when I was going through and doing the research, I'm like, OK. What are the incentives for the movie studios right now? And what are the incentives right. for the movie studios to bring out a movie on, you know, services such as like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime versus the movie theaters? And are is there an incentive for them to wait until, you know, either A, there's a vaccine, attendance numbers are back up, second half of 2022? And then what's that going to do to movie theaters now? Because I was thinking, I was like, wow, should we just be looking at movie studios? <laughs> is there more? No, I don't think movie studios are very attractive at okay. all. I think the pricing on them and stuff is nothing like theaters. Here's the problem with theaters, though, and why I think no one wants to buy the stocks. There's not going to be any revenue coming until April. So because... Of 2021? Of 2021, Yeah. Because what you were talking about is that you can shift movies back and movies are a, you, that you invested a huge amount in in the asset. So and then it's perishable once you release it, if you release it the ways that you were talking about, and it doesn't go well. Let's say you're universal or something and you release on a platform that you have that's not very popular. Um, it, you just wasted $150 million or whatever, you know, the, the movie could be in terms of your sunk cost and in, and in terms of how successful it might be. They've moved some movies uh, in some cases and did some stuff that I think, um, shows either testing something out is one thing that some did. And then also I think some specific movies, we talked a little bit about Mulan, which they were able to open domestically in China and then, uh, online in the U S. And I think that makes a lot of sense for Disney because, um, online they want to drive 
online in the mm-hmm. US. Mm-hmm. And then China, you're not really hurting yourself. And I never thought it was going to be a very big movie in, in the US, but it was going to be big in China. Um, there are other movies where it's tough. The one that's like the worst is, I mean, I saw Tenet in theaters. And that movie mm-hmm. is permanently harmed by this in a mm-hmm. tremendous way. Yeah. The value of Tenet has been completely uh, decreased a lot for whoever owns that, I guess, probably Warner Brothers. In my notes, I had a question. Are movie theaters like radio? They spend a lot of time rolling up assets and levering up and doing so. Mm-hmm. The industry isn't, you know, there's not a lot of growth coming from the industry, but pandemic excluded, they generated a ton of cash. Yeah. And it'll be, you know, painful to get back to, you think, April till attendance is really, you know, back up again. Um, but, you know, like going forward, movie theaters will be okay, but it'll be a long road for some of these companies just paying down debt and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem. So what you said about radio is exactly right. People think with radio and I think with movie theaters that they're like, when they write stories about it, they're like, well, AMC is going to be in bankruptcy and stuff because of problems in the movie industry or, um, you know, uh, iHeartRadio or whatever, Mm -hmm. or any of those things. It's really because they took on a lot of debt to buy things and stuff like that. So, We'll see. This is so bad and there'll be so little revenue for so long that it could actually threaten companies that were conservatively financed. But until now, if you had bankruptcies in the industry, it was purely for that reason. Because there's a lot of scale advantages. They're really big scale advantages. And so increasing your scale, just like in radio and stuff, by buying up all these local operators uh, does have big advantages for you. And so it makes sense to borrow money, buy out people who aren't operating as well as you could operate it, then you operate it better. And you have those advantages, kind of like when you read things about Cable Cowboy or any of those, it has a lot of those same things, but you can overdo it. And a few of them always overdo it. Of course. Yeah. Especially when it's in the better times for the industry, when there's more growth and stuff, you know, as opposed to now, uh, you probably won't have that problem for a few years coming out of COVID because everyone will be stressed in terms of balance sheets and it won't be popular to do those kinds of deals. Mm -hmm. So doing the research, I actually was surprised also by the stat that you know, about two thirds of the box office revenue comes from international. Yeah. You know, so I'm kind of curious how you think about handicapping that. And because a lot of people in the United States, I think the consensus is who still goes to movie theaters. A, a lot of people still right. go to movie theaters. We just talked about the um, stats behind that. That hasn't really declined a lot. And really what's inclined is the box office revenue and the average ticket price. But I'm kind of curious how you think about just internationally people going to movie theaters. Cinemark is very tied to international operations. Right. So they have so how would you think about that? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, one, it's a big deal for studios. So it's a really big deal for studios and it's the most important thing for them deciding what to acquire and stuff like that is how well they can get distribution internationally. That's what it's usually about and stuff, not so much here. So I was talking about like, you know, uh, in another podcast, we're talking about how Paramount doesn't have a great market share here or whatever, but they still are capable of distributing movies internationally successfully. So it's still a valuable thing for people to to have a distributor that does that. There's only a handful of them, you know. Um, it will change some things in terms of movies and studios and stuff because China is such a big market and stuff. There'll be more movies made that are not intended to play big in the U.S., There'll be a lot more of that. So you'll see more and more movies where you're like, oh, why is this Hollywood star in this movie that looks terrible? Mm. It's not meant for an American audience. And there's huge differences in movies in terms of how much is international versus in the U.S. based on what kind of movie it is and stuff. So when you make a movie like um, Moneyball or something, you know that can't play big in the rest of the world. Mm. But when people in the U.S. are like, well... uh, Troy must have been a disaster or something. Well, it's not because it can play in the rest of the world, you know, that kind of movie. So I think for most movie theaters, it's just going to be U.S. domestic focus. I don't think they're going to, the U.S. companies are going to be interested in buying stuff in other countries that much. Um, 
but it's possible. And Cinemark has good operations in Latin America. They're clustered and stuff like that. They're just, they, they have good assets there. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's hard to like get those, I think for the most part. Um, to buy them in, in other countries that way. And it will definitely be after COVID and everything. Now, maybe there'll be some countries that have problems, more problems in the one particular country versus another. And so their movie theaters might get in more financial distress and be able to be bought out by someone else. Um, there's also the issue that there's been some change with antitrust stuff. So eventually you could see vertical integration, which was banned in the U.S. So for the last 70 years in the U.S., a little bit more than that, you can't have vertical integration in the industry. And that would make a ton of sense, vertical integration. So again, like the cable cowboy idea, owning, being a cable system operator and also owning networks that can be on that system, um, was valuable and it was allowed, uh, with certain rules and stuff at different times, but that hasn't been allowed for movie theaters and movie studios in the U S and now it will be. Mm -hmm. So someone will, you know, I mean, at some points you're going to have some degree of vertical integration. And what do you think that looks like? I don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, the most logical one is Amazon buying a theater. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really obvious um, because the ones, some of them have problems like Amazon, Netflix and stuff. If they keep making movies, the studios, they intend to be a movie studio too. They may have problems with getting sufficient distribution for their movie. And so it may make sense. Also, you get more data too. That's the other thing because you'd be running a, um, like uh, a loyalty program, mm -hmm. sort of like Amazon owns Whole Foods, so they get all the data on Whole Foods, what people actually shop at. If you owned AMC, you would have this great data from having their their um, subscriber base, you know, that of all the people, there's, you know, millions of people that are using it for the 20% off on concessions or whatever, but you're getting to see what movies they go to when and all that sort of stuff and target them better that way. Mm -hmm. Let's shift to, I guess, just three movie theaters that we, okay. we could look at, AMC, Cinemark, and the Marcus Corporation. I guess if you had to boil down the investment thesis, mm -hmm. like what's important and what's knowable and what would the drivers be of the thesis? Like when you're looking at it, is it really, okay, when is there going to be a normalization of attendance? Is it, will these companies be able to survive until that normalization of attendance? I mean, how would you typically think through that process? So, I mean, my first thought would be how well can they survive till April? The reason why I'd say that is because if you look at the movies that haven't been put out and the movies that uh, our schedules we put out. If movie th studios want to bump movies, it becomes too difficult to do that once we get to about April of next year. So um, the reason for that is that you have an incentive, a huge incentive if you're a movie studio, right, to move these movies back mm -hmm. um, until you know that people are in theaters, right? And then the theaters have the problem that no one, they can't attract anyone into the theaters unless they um, have big movies to show. Sure. But the problem is, as you can see there, like things like, and we'll see if it gets changed, but for instance, uh, th like this is a good example, MI7, right? So MI7, they actually, uh, that, that's Paramount, I guess, they actually intended to film back to back on that. So they wanted to do seven and then eight, like uh, whatever, two years later or whatever, instead of how they usually space them out. Yes, but see that, one, see. Is it one year later? Yes. Yeah, so one year later. Well, yeah, 2021 and then 2022. And so that creates a problem. Same thing with Marvel and stuff. They already planned some of this stuff. So those slots fill up mm -hmm. for movies. And so there will come a point where it doesn't make sense to keep pushing it back because you'd be up against movies that are, are um, too competitive with yours, which is the big problem, right? So like if you're... Um, you know, if you're John Wick or whatever, um, would you want to avoid 
coming out the same weekend that the Fast and the Furious comes out or the Fast and the Furious and a Mission Impossible movie or something. You know, there, there comes a point where you look at it and your audience just would get so um, fragmented from that and it would be a big mistake, you know? That's one thing I learned from Total Recall on Arnold Schwarzenegger, how yeah. I never thought about how important that was to the process. It's almost like there's a movie cartel and yeah. they all kind of work together so like no one steps on somebody else's feet because it's like if you're going to release Jurassic World, for example, maybe you don't want to go against Spider-Man or right. stuff like that. Exactly. It's very yeah. important. And so, and you definitely don't want to go against a couple movies that could be happening at the same time. And you know, that they're still popular, you know, you're opening against a movie that's big, that's opening with you. And then there's also a movie that a few weeks earlier is still popular and all those risks. And so that's going to happen to them in terms of a few movies. Cause each of these studios does several movies. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have that problem. Cause if you want to protect this movie, then you have to give a better date to another movie. You know, you have to take a risk with another movie um, because you have such a big slate versus what you could actually, you know, have happen there. Like, for so for instance, we're basically having movies bumped now for like a year. So let's say if it goes till April, then we'll have had a year of movies that should have been released but weren't. That's too big a backlog for Hollywood to deal with and stuff. So what will start happening is you really got to make choices. Like, do you make the choice of just going digital with something? Do you make the choice of releasing it even though people aren't really back to theaters? Because you can't, like, when you make a choice like the April thing, say you bump, you have a movie planned right now to be the middle of April, and then you say we need to bump it. Mm-hmm. Well, the date you need to bump it for might be six months later. It's not like you pick a few uh, weeks later or something because there's only certain slots available, and there's only certain times that you want to be releasing movies into um, because there's part of the year that you want people. Generally, you don't release a movie in, like, February or something because not a lot of people go to it. Um but you might sometimes because there's like no competition. So that's why you do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's literally like no one in theaters right now. Mm -hmm. So they will, they can try to push it off for a while, but there will come a point. And I think that point is probably like April. I think it's hard to push any further than April, but we'll see what happens with COVID. Yeah. You're sorry. See, I mean, universal pushes latest Jurassic world into 2022, Mm -hmm. you know, so they're trying to, and, and I understand that from like an incentive standpoint of the studios, obviously right. would want to release a film right now if nobody's going to the movie theaters. So with that all said, you would be very focused then on the businesses being able to survive, I imagine, until April or, yeah. you know, there's some sort of vaccine or whatever. So, I mean, like we have Marcus Corporation up mm-hmm. right now and you could see their debt. And, you know, I guess when you're starting to handicap this and you're doing your research, what would you be doing? Would you be, you know, listening to or reading the transcripts to see like how management is thinking about it? Mm-hmm. You know, what have they done through the process? How are they basically going to be able to survive? Cause I would right. say they're all in survivable mode right now, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. kill or be killed quite honestly. Yeah. So Marcus did a capital raise and that helps lock up money for longer. So they did convertible bond. Um, and there'll be companies needing to do that. This is the kind of thing where when we were talking about it with COVID earlier, where I was saying I would wait till a company was recapitalized and stuff. When a lot of people asked about like cruise lines, uh, Dave and Buster type things, whatever, um, some restaurant stocks, stuff like that, is your risk of um, the recapitalization risk and stuff. I don't think it's that terrible here because like I said, like say Cinemark or something, right? Um, if you think it can be done, if capital markets are pretty favorable for that kind of thing, uh, generally, if there's money out there at high rates and stuff, you know, if I would say it's normally a $45 stock, right. And you're buying in an eight, well, you could get a triple on a stock that dilutes by half 
because it's you know forty eight. Let's say it's worth forty eight dollars. It dilutes halfway its equity um, to twenty four dollars now as the intrinsic value, and you're buying in at eight. You could still get three times. Mm-hmm. So it's not. It's okay to look at them and say, okay, they'll be recapitalized, and I'll make money on it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a question of whether they can do that. Obviously, companies like Cinemark, for instance, have huge amounts of debt and leases. You can see that there. So, like the the debt position is like double the market cap or something, mm-hmm. and then you have leases uh, on top of that too. Now, I don't know. Th- that's the other thing. I think you could probably work through some leases. Um, you know, your landlords aren't in a great position, and they would like if you're like Cinemark. They're big. They're big theaters. They have lots of screens. You would like to keep them as a tenant and sure. stuff. And the reason they're not paying you is because they, they have no one in the uh, movies. That's what's good about Marcus is I think they own what? 60% of their real estate. Yeah. So Marcus owns a lot and they have things both in hotel and movies too. So they're somewhat diversified that way. And they're not having to negotiate constantly with their landlords. Yeah. So you lo- landlord. right. So you look at that, you look at the um, PP and E for them and like, how much of this can you borrow against? How much can you do that way? A lot of it might have to be at very high rates for short periods of time at, you know, we talked about that when, uh, Carnival borrowed at like 11% or something. And technically it, it was like a secured thing, but it's really poor um, quality in terms of how well secured it is. But doing things like that, high interest um, convertibles, uh, I mean, that makes it a lot more attractive. The Marcus one, you know, like they borrowed at, uh, was it 5%? Do you remember? Yeah, 5%. Um, that sounds like it's not very good, but you're getting a conversion into the stock at like a small premium over or a normal premium over it on a stock that was at its lowest point in, you know, these stocks, I don't know, do you have a chart on them? I mean, basically these stocks are at about their lows, uh, at least in a mark and Marcus are, they're about their lows since COVID. They're at about the same level they were in the middle of, um, the shutdown and their lows that are about in line with like what it was in 20 years. Like they're so, I mean, for one thing, these things are as cheap in some cases as they were in the middle of the financial crisis. And they're so much more valuable than that. If you look at how much the business has grown and also just like their position in it and all that and their financial situation and all that, except, you know, they're going to have to burn cash for like six months or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're like, basically they're at lows that are similar to what we saw in the financial crisis. It's hard to find stocks today that are at the same price they were during the financial crisis and yet are much better businesses. Mm -hmm. Cinemark, for example, they said that they've managed their cash burn to about 50 million per quarter now as well. So they've Mm -hmm. been like pretty prudent about managing that. There's not going to be a huge difference, I think, of whether they're open or not. This is something that, like, they have to decide what to do. And I think the press is making a really big deal about it, about whether they decide to close back up. No one's there. The staffing levels are not high. Um, There's stuff that they would have to do anyway. They can't really, like, just in terms of support stuff, like, flip a switch and suddenly be able to have, you know, they need some headquarters stuff no matter what, even if they weren't open, Um, you know, like a month or so ahead of when they do reopen. So like shutting down probably doesn't save them a lot of money and it probably hurts their credibility with studios. Like being open and stuff might help them think that they can get back faster. Um, now the thing is, uh, if we look at these stocks, um, they are obviously, they don't have super strong balance sheets and stuff because it's an industry that's used to being run pretty, um, uh, not with a lot of capital, not with a lot of liquid capital and stuff, because you have very high free cash flow generation or cash flow from operations. Like if we look um, at the cash flow statement, yeah, for Cinemark, for instance. So you can see cash flow from operations um, before this year, um, you know, it was running, let's say 500 million plus, right? 
that's really high on a, a stock that we just said is like, let's see, uh, it's a what billion dollar stock. It has two billion in debt. I mean, it has some leases and stuff, but even that you're talking about low prices. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see with the PPE, um, the CapEx that they're spending, companies like Cinemark, that's actually not all um, maintenance CapEx. So they were spending like $300 million a year on CapEx, but they were doing a lot of things that are going to help them increase their ticket prices and increase their um, concessions, which is how they've been able to do it all the time. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, changing everything to more comfortable seating and stuff like that is very typical of what they've been doing and also Marcus. Yeah, I think the whole industry has gone through that change, making mm-hmm. more of a enjoyable you know the seats recline kind of more intimate some of them you know you could buy uh, they have like a waiter or waitress mm-hmm. club. you could drink alcohol stuff like that they've really shifted the experience in you know all movie theaters yeah but it's gonna be a question now of whether they can do that because the first thing they're gonna do is spend no- nothing on capex mm-hmm. <laughs> so um i mean if we look at the 10-year numbers on these companies you can see why it would be so like you know they're not um no growth companies these are companies that have grown as fast or faster than other things in the market, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so like you can see their revenue assets, CPS, they're all in the range of like, you know, six to 9% a year, um, which is perfectly in line. I mean, and that's basically since the financial crisis and stuff. So that's perfectly in line with all sorts of other businesses. So they're not like declining businesses in any sense that way. And usually each year they have higher gross profit, operating profit. They certainly have higher, um, ticket prices per person and concessions per person like every single year. Mm. That's been a continual trend. So your profitability per customer has gone up basically every year. It still seems pretty cheap to me. That well, that's not the average ticket up. price in some places. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's not you. the average ticket price. Uh, yeah, well, but it also factors in some other things. But yeah, that's true. That, yeah, the average ticket price, 9-11, yeah, mm. in 2018. That sounds right. Got it. So how was your experience at the movie theater? Were you the only one in there? Uh, for some, I was, uh, there was usually like one other group. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it was a good experience. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, it's a good experience. I mean, I like it fine that way. Uh, the, the main problem is, you know, obviously the, the movies, um, that movies that you would want to see and stuff have been pushed back. And so you're getting a lot of movies that are not the strongest, uh, movies coming out. And then, um, and also, to be fair, too, like part of the reason why you're having no one in some movies is because they have such a limited slate of movies that they have a movie that normally would be okay movie, it would be a run of the mill of what they're showing, not their best movie at all. And yet they're playing every 30 minutes yeah. because it's the one thing that they have as a draw right now. Um, so, you know, like the, um, the latest James Bond movie was intended to come out in April. Then it was pushed till November, and then it's just been pushed to April of next year. And that's typical. And that was there are several superhero movies that were moved like that. So um, I think the hardest thing is figuring out whether they can last till, I would say, April. I don't see that. I mean, there's still some movies planned right now officially between now and April that are meaningful movies. But I wouldn't be surprised if those get moved. Um, I would really be surprised if people are willing to release movies before April. Are you more interested in cruise lines or movie theaters? Movie theaters by far. Actually, to be honest, movie theaters to me uh, are the definitely seem like the cheapest group that there is out there. Uh, I just think it's a much better business than cruises. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's a good business, honestly. I know that people don't, but I do. I think that the economics have gotten better and better for the few remaining ones, the scales up. I also honestly would not be surprised if these things are sold to someone else in the industry within the next five years or so. I really think that that they've gone so big 
Um, so some of these like market share of like an AMC or something, I don't know exactly, but it could be 15% or something. They're at that numbers of screens and things. So your, your top three, four, five, um, movie theater chains are now a meaningful part. They're like close to half the industry yeah, or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And they own some other stuff. We, I didn't we, realize how fragmented the industry is too. Cause I mean, just mm-hmm. when I do think about movie theaters, I think AMC, Marcus, Cinemark. Right. But they were also regional. Uh-huh. And now you have ones that have more of a national footprint and all of that. It, even these are very regional, like Cinemark and stuff is big where we are, but it, it's nothing in like the New York area. Marcus is very big where you were talking about, it has some small number of screens in some Illinois, other places. Yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin, it must have huge market share, I would guess, um, because it can't be that big of a market and they have a lot there. Um, there are other ones. The one, other one that value investors like a lot all the time is Redding. Uh, Redding owns the Angelica, which is does like art movies, things like that. And it also does um, Redding theaters, which are a handful of them around the country, which are more like um, your normal like multiplex type thing. Uh, but it actually owns a ton of real estate in Australia and the U.S. and stuff. And it also owns a, a particularly bad thing to be in now. Um, it also owns uh, theaters for plays. Interesting. Yeah, so you rent out the theater and stuff like for Broadway and things like that. It owns those too. So it's not a good mix for them of what they have. But they have a lot of hard assets and stuff that people are interested in. I thought of you the other day. I saw, I think it was Cinemark. You could rent out a whole movie theater for like 99 bucks. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh. Feel like this has got Jeff Ren all over. So they've always done that, and they've reduced their prices and stuff on that. Yeah, as part of trying to draw people in. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's not working that well. Um, yeah. So we we've talked about privately before. Like, what is one irrational thing you would ever mm-hmm. want to like purchase in your life, or just something where you're like, well, if money was no option, and you just couldn't, you wouldn't explain to someone to like try to justify just what's one thing that you would want. And you said a movie theater. Yes. Like in your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, when you think about things of like what people, yeah, I, I stayed at a house once that had a separate building, like it was intended to be, um, like a garage or something. They didn't need a garage actually. So they probably had been intended to be a garage originally. And then, um, they converted it to just, um, for watching movies, you know, as a home theater, but it was completely separate from the house and everything. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's very nice. So <laughs> I could see that as a thing that people would do. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Um, yeah, it's a different experience. I mean, like I said, I, I'm, I'm certainly glad that I saw Tenet in a movie theater and not in a, um, home setting. Um, it's a totally different experience. And, and oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but that movie did, I mean, not in the U.S., now not in other countries, but in the U.S. it did a tiny fraction of what it would be capable of doing in normal times. And that may permanently harm it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, because it may be overlooked more compared to other movies that he did, that Nolan did. You know, it, it may not get the recognition of other movies because it was released at a time when people couldn't see it and create a buzz around and stuff. So all of its aftermarket of that you know is just shrunk down because of it mm-hmm. you know now some of these i don't know they may also try re-releasing movies and at some times they were playing some movies that were also online at the same time you know some movies that could be bought online but also shown in theaters um there was some of that and I, there was seemed to be some re-releasing of stuff um not just like classic films and stuff like that which they've been doing but also stuff that like it was supposed to come out during covid and then like they put it online and they try to put it out now but I don't think that there's a lot of appetite for it. It's interesting because people are really okay with going to malls and things much more so than theaters. And so it's kind of, I think it's a problem though, mainly of not having the films come out. You know, we talk about that a lot with like chicken and egg problems. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem here. People are like, they haven't been to the movies for a long time now. And so the question is like, it would take a really, a movie they really want to see to bring them back. And so 
but then the studios don't want to put movies in there when there aren't people there. Because mm-hmm. um, that's the gamble by the studio. You have one time to do that. Yeah. Now I think, shot. I think a lot of people will say like, there's some fear of like an existential threat to this industry. Like there's fear that because of COVID people's behavior is going to change a lot and stuff. I don't think that's really why the stocks are the way they are. Um, I think it's probably that there's just, you know, that if you buy it now, there's will not be good news. Like they're just, I'm sure I I feel very sure of that, that if you bought it now, you're going to wait, you're going to own something that for six months or more, there just cannot possibly be good news. How much is that is baked in though? Oh, I think it's, that's a hundred percent baked in more than a hundred percent. But still, if you convince someone that a stock is worth 10 times what it is now, but there can only be bad news for six months. Will they say, well, I'd rather wait and buy it. Of course. It's very hard to convince someone to buy a stock that, you know, usually you don't know. You think, well, next quarter might be better. I mean, if you bought into some commodity thing that's doing really badly, some, the price could turn around tomorrow a little bit, you know, if it's that cheap, you know, but that can't happen here. You know, it will be bad for a long time which is different from other COVID type stocks where they're like, well, it may not be as bad as we think. At this point, I don't think it matters. If they came out with the vaccine tomorrow, um, I, that, and, you know, and, and COVID was gone instantly. Um, I don't think that they could suddenly rush the movies in before, like I said, like April as having a regular, I don't expect any regular release schedule, anything approaching normal in terms of the quality of the movies in theaters until April. And it could be worse than that, but I don't think it could be better because you can't just, having not planned to put movies out, suddenly tell everyone, okay, here's the movie and you got to go see sure. it. You know, you don't have that kind of marketing thing. These are very not overlooked stocks though. Absolutely. So not. they're highly speculative stocks. They have incredibly high volume. Uh, yeah. Share turnover for Marcus is like 700% there, but I mean, just like, especially in recent times, I think I've noticed that the volumes on them are incredible. They have sometimes volume like you expect on a much, much bigger stock. Um, cause like Marcus is officially a micro cap now, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely doesn't trade like one in terms of, um, how much volume there is. Mm-hmm. So there, there are lots of people buying and selling, speculating, I guess, on COVID and things like that. Um, they're highly speculative stocks, I would say. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Well, thank everybody so much for tuning in today on the podcast with Jeff and I make sure you hit that subscribe button both on YouTube and the podcast side of things. Thank you so much for all the support and we will see you in the next podcast.